How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the NHL playoffs on the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, I know that today's episode is called First Half or First Round Recap slash Second Round Predictions, but does it technically count if the first round hasn't ended yet? What I think is weird is that the third round has all sorry the second round has already started with uh, by the time this podcast goes out tonight uh, the first games of three of the four series will have already been played while the first round hasn't been decided for uh, cough cough the North Division. I know, like it, it's still unbelievable. I st- like I we'll get to this later on. I still can't believe that they've forced seven games. Like this is there's no way that this should have gone seven. Yeah, pretty much. But it's still odd to see the NHL just didn't let it go, let the playoffs go a few more days. But I guess they want to keep momentum and the money going. It's tough, especially because unlike in the North, fans down in the U.S. can uh, actually be in the stands. Did you see the Boston game last night? I didn't know. That house was full and it was rocking. Yeah, apparently Vegas, Colorado, when those games get going, it's going to be 100% capacity down in the United States too. Yeah, well, if if Boston's 100% capacity, I imagine most arenas will be 100% capacity because Massachusetts was one of the toughest states in terms of their response to COVID, so most other states are pretty laissez-faire. So, Tim, you know, every episode I say that we've got a fully loaded and an exciting episode ahead of us, but (laughs) this time, 100% I can guarantee... We've got a fully loaded episode because today's episode is our first round recap slash second round predictions. Now, as usual, you know, with a lot of these episodes, we would say, how's our week been going? How has previous episode was? But because of all the stuff that we need to talk about this evening, let's get into talking about the first round And how we're going to be doing this, because they're not doing it by conference, they're doing it by division this year, we're going to be going West West Division, East Division, Central Division, and finish in the North. So, I guess we can go a quick recap of just the first round in general. Because I think for me, this was a very, very exciting first round. Because you started off, we get all these OTs, a lot of big moments, a lot of big plays, a lot of big players came up big. Overall, what did you think about the first round as a whole? This is such a weird one to watch because uh, you have what might be one of the closest sweeps in history. I know people are making fun of that phrasing, but I think it's frankly true in terms of Edmonton, Winnipeg, where three of those four games went to overtime, and I think all of them were one goal games. Uh, Then you have an absolute beautiful series between uh, Florida and Tampa that's really only ruined by Sergei Bobrovsky. And then moving on, the Avs-St. Louis series is a bit of a womp. Man, that Minnesota series was good too. Like, There's just so much good hockey being played. The only one that's kind of a weird oddball is that Toronto-Montreal, which, to be fair, a season, sorry, a playoff series that is 50 years in the make and should go to seven games, but not like this. So let's get into talking about the playoffs. Now we're going to start off in the Western Division, the first seed at the... 
the number one seed, Colorado Avalanche, versus the fourth seed, St. Louis Blues. Now, this is the second time that these two teams have played against each other in the playoffs, and the first playoff series against each other since the 2001 Western Conference Finals. And also, this is the very first playoff sweep for Colorado since... 2001 opening round versus Vancouver. Uh, yeah, I was nine years old as a Canucks fan. I certainly remember that. The Avalanche ended up winning the season series 5-3. to three, And you and I both picked a Colorado sweep. And... It wasn't even fucking close. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I, I really... Uh, Tay, I think you have a clip teed up for this. I do have a clip teed up for this, Tim. And you know, the nice thing about this show is that, quite honestly, I have... You know, I can always do stuff like this, right? So, obviously, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring the clip up because... It's your favorite. It is my favorite, but it just sums it up so perfectly. (laughs) He's already dead. Now, of course, I'm using that clip in reference to the fact that Colorado forward Nazem Kadri once again, (laughs) a first-round suspension for Nazem Kadri. Eight games. Very, he was absolutely deserving of it. I mean, I'm not going to argue that. I think my only thing with me, when I watched the hit and I saw how many games he got, how much of this is that he's a repeat offender, but also how much of this really came from the Tom Wilson fine and the backlash the league got for it? Well, I think the big thing is he's a repeat offender. He has been suspended in the first round of the playoffs every year for three years. You can set your goddamn watch to it. So, no, he gets absolutely no benefit of the doubt. It was not a good hit. It was a suspendable hit. And if you can't figure that out, you deserve to be gone. It's true. And what's funny is it's not even that big of a loss for Colorado. No, it's not. that team is fucking stacked. Exactly. It's not like when he, when Nazem Kadri played for Toronto where he was one of their big core pieces there where losing him really was a death knell for the team but you're right he goes to Colorado he has an entire team around him that can carry the load so it does suck for Colorado because Nazem Kadri was playing great the funny thing for me watching the hit 15 years ago that would have been a legal hit that's hard to believe like 15 years ago that's a legal hit yeah because I remember like Keith Kachuk used to do hits like that all the time yeah, and it's like, it's kind of amazing more guys didn't get hurt in the old NHL with the shit they were doing. It's true, but you also got to look at the equipment too, right? I mean, yeah. you, you know, you, the equipment wasn't as good, but also you didn't get as hurt as much because the equipment was basically made out of foam. It's not like now where it's made out of like hard plastic. Right. Fair enough, fair enough. So I, again, I also think that uh, Stephen Zahn, Korea was definitely a turning Yes, Stevens on Korea, definitely. And, I mean, you look at a lot of the hits that came after that, too, right? But I think for me, if you remember... Remember when Brian Campbell hit Umberger in 2006? That was bad. Yeah. He just looked up in the sky like, where did you come from, bud? Yeah. So, I got a couple of players I want to talk about. And we're going to start off in goal for Colorado... Philip Grubauer, a .936 save percentage, a 1.75 goals against. I think for me, the big thing that came out of this series 
had nothing to do with the on-ice product. It had to do off the ice. Now, uh, now, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. Did you see his Twitter post following the St. Louis sweep? I did not. It was essentially a screenshot of him and Jordan, Jordan Bennington, which I'll talk about later on. And the caption was, Memory from round one. It's <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. But you know who was also bad? Jordan Bennington. Bennington. I gotta say right now, I am so tired of this fake tough guy act that he has. Because, you know, he did this during the season with Devin Dubnik when he played in Minnesota. Remember, Dubnik's like, well, you want a piece of me? Come at it. Let's go. And Bennington's like, no, backing up, backing up, backing up. And I'm just, I said to one of my buddies, I'm like, could you imagine if he had done that to Garth Snow or Ron Hextall or, or Dan Cloutier? Those guys would have gone at him. He'd be taken down, no problem. But the thing is, for me, is that, and you also look at his stat line from this series, an 899 save percentage, which is terrible, a 3.59 goals against. Uh, to be fair, Colorado was paid. firing at will. And, like, they were piling shots tall. Finnington 100% needed to be better. But, God damn, that was a team collapse by St. Louis. Because Colorado, if you look at the expected goals map on uh, Hockey Viz, it's blood red for Colorado. They are getting excess shots from all over the goddamn offensive zone. It was a goddamn shooting gallery. It was. But you know what? This is yet another playoff year where Jordan Bennington does not come up big for St. Louis. And, f- and in my personal opinion, I'm not sure how you feel about this. He's probably one of, if not, the single most overrated goalie in the NHL. Because people always try and pump his tires. They're like, oh, this guy's so good. He's so good. He hasn't been that good over the last two years. When he yeah, gets into the playoffs, he run. doesn't step his game up. He falls flat. Yeah. Well, even that miracle run, that was a really strong St. Louis team in front of him that has just kind of aged out, faltered, and been kind of, not even injuries. They were pretty pretty well put together this year. Like, not all of it rests on Bennington, but Bennington needed to be better. The whole team just was not up to snuff. No, and there were some easy goals that St. Louis should have scored. I can't remember what game it was. Mike Hoffman had a wide open net. And he fucking cages it. And he missed. I'm just like, oh my good god. But I think for me, the only other guy... Because there's so many guys you could talk about in this series. Obviously, that, that top line in Colorado is just amazing. But Nathan McKinnon, though. Six goals, three assists. In my personal opinion... He keeps this up. You could see a legit... It, I don't want to say unanimous because you see both like the Victor Hedmans and the Kucheros and these guys, the guys in the playoffs. This guy's going to be serious contention for the Consumite Trophy if they go to the finals. Well, the, the guy has nine points in four games. Yeah. Like, that's what we were expecting out of McDavid. That's what we were expecting. We are expecting something similar out of Matthews, but six goals... Three assists. What the fuck? Like, that's that's insane. And then, like, Landis Cog wasn't slouching either because all of those games were freaking runaway trains. Like, holy. Yeah, and you can't forget Miko Ratanen too, right? Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, that whole team. I mean, the, the whole team played great. Kyle McCarr played great. That top line played great. 
And, I mean, what can you really say about that? The Colorado is just a freaking machine right now. Yeah, it's... Well, it's like... I think we say it every time we talk about Colorado, but it's like... Everyone on the internet has to apologize to Joe Sackick. Because he has built a death machine. And, like, so much of that came out of his trades. It has. And I think for me... The only question mark for me, and I'm sure a lot of people probably disagree with me, is still in goal. Like, Phil Grubauer has been very, very good for Colorado, but for me, he's not that elite, superstar, star goalie the Avalanche need. But he's good enough. Yeah, but that's the The thing. Good enough doesn't get you far, though. You could look in the the mid-2000s Avalanche teams where you look at that team that they had. When they had the Sackets, Forsbergs, Mike, or Mike, what, Rob Blakes, you know, guys like that, but they had David Abisher, and Abisher was good enough. And they never went far with him. True. But one thing that I'm more worried about with uh, Colorado is their backup is Devin Dubnik, and we don't like that. <laughs> but even this year, group like Grubauer so far, like 0.936 over the playoffs against, uh, frankly, pretty easy competition. And over the season, he posted a .922. And he's a career .920. Like, I think that he's definitely in the comp- the conversation of good first starters, while David Abisher was fringe starter. So, like, I think Grubauer, they're definitely in a much better place with Grubauer, but if anything happens to Grubauer then I'm 100% with you because yeah, Devin Dubnik, uh, that scares me. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not a bad goalie if you don't have to overly rely on him. If he's like a short-term replacement, that's fine. Like, that's fine. He can win you a couple games here and there, but he's not a legit starter nowadays. He's not even that great of a backup nowadays at 35. You know what he was banging this year? What? A point eight nine five. Ouch. And his career in the playoffs is a point nine oh four. So do you have any more notes on this series before we head off into the second series of the Western Division? Uh, this this was the spanking everyone was expecting. Yeah, I this was a pretty obvious one though. I think I think everybody and their mother said that, and that's why you and I both picked Colorado four games sweep. Move on to the next round. I'm glad that both of us had the balls to call the sweep. Because remember last year we kept calling sweeps in the first round. Didn't happen that we just said never again. Yeah. But you know what? Colorado is a pretty safe bet though. Especially against St. Louis. Yeah, that's true. Now we're going to move on to the second playoff series in the West Division. The second seed, Vegas Gold Knights versus the third seed, Minnesota Wild. Now, this is the first playoff series against each other. Minnesota ended up winning the season series 5-3. Our predictions, Tim, you picked the Vegas Gold Knights in six games. I had the wild card upset of the Minnesota Wild in seven games. You got the team right. I got the number of games. Vegas won in seven. I wasn't expecting Vegas to have so much trouble closing this one out. Because, like, in the first four games, they looked dominant. 
mm-hmm. even in that one zero overtime loss, the only reason they lost is Cam Talbot put on a clinic. That was a man under siege, and he did not falter. Well, let's talk about him. Cam Talbot, you know, and for me, this is not a hot take. This guy single-handedly was the reason the Wild got to seven games. Because if you look at, like, Vegas outscored them 12-4 to through four games. Talbot then comes in and game, starts playing in game five. Now, obviously, he shut them out in games one and six with 42 saves and 23 respectively. Stone them in game five. 38 saves, a .950 save percentage. And then, of course... The Vegas Golden Knights offense just completely torpedoed them, and they ended up winning it in that seventh game. Well, what's kind of insane is uh, for two game, two straight games, Vegas forgot how to score because, like, if you look at their shots, somehow every single goddamn one for games five and six were basically on the periphery. They were they were getting shots droves, but they couldn't get good ones to save their life. It was. Bizarre. It was frankly bizarre for a team that had Mike Stone on it. It's true, but I think for me, the big reason of Vegas' success in this series actually came in their depth scoring because that third line of Matthias Janmark, Nicholas Watt, and Alex Tuck, that was a huge factor, especially in the later games. Well, Janmark's hat trick is exactly it, right? The other thing that didn't help Vegas is Flurry had some. Yikes games. He like did. The 4-2 loss, Flurry was rocking a 77%. Yeah, that's that's bad. That's bad. That's almost to the point where if you're the Golden Knights head coach, you have to think in the back of your mind, at that point, do you go with Robin Leonard? When you're letting in 25% of the shots, does that yeah. thought pop in your head? Like, Because you have a legit starter as a backup in Vegas. Honestly, yeah, I would go back to... I probably would have gone to later at that point. Yeah. Now, I know that you already mar- mentioned Mark Stone, former Ottawa Senator, should have been captain, but isn't. Four goals and an assist. Led, the, led all forwards in ice time and shooting percentage for Vegas. But for me, the one guy that really came as a surprise, Chandler Stevenson, five assists playing alongside Mark Stone. And this is without Max Pacioretty as well on that top line. Chandler Stevenson is this guy. He kind of came out of nowhere, eh? A lot of people are like, it seems like he is kind of being car- carried by uh, Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, but he's definitely coming to his own, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's true, but you know what, though? And that's the great thing about the playoffs, is that it's always those unsung heroes that always step up, that they always show up, and they're the ones that make the difference. But what's weird about Chandler Stevenson is this is a guy who can finish. We're talking about, like, I want to say 90th percentile finisher in the NHL. That's bizarre. And, like, he's no slouch in his own bed either. Like, sure, he's not creating a lot of expected goals, but when he gets a chance, he finishes. And, yeah, it's just... If you put him with guys like Mark Stone, Match Pat Chiretti, or those sorts of guys, yeah, he's going to produce. Yeah, and like I said, he was doing this without Pat Chiretti. It was just Mark yeah. Stone. So, do you have any more notes you want to make on the Vegas-Minnesota series before we head off into the East Division? 
it was honestly pretty funny when uh do you follow Don Lucusian from The Athletic at all on Twitter? I don't know. Stupid flat. So everyone calls him a Toronto homer. Oh, so, kind of like uh, what's the guy's name? Myrtle. Yeah, uh, James. So Myrtle. to kind of counteract it, he went deep into the wild, wild fandom over the last few years. Okay. And then uh, the wild took one of the closed sections and called it Don Lucusian Reserve Section. And, like, number one fan Dom Zone. That's awesome. And he was like, oh, my God, it's my time. <laughs> yeah. You know, the only thing about me, and I'm not sure if the Minnesota Wild have done this, is, and this is kind of a really trivial thing for me, but I'm really surprised the Minnesota Wild doesn't use the Prince song, Let's Get Crazy, as their goal song. Especially that part of Let's Get Crazy, Let's Get Wild. That would be awesome. And I'm sure they probably have done it at some point, but I can't think off the top of my head of whether they've not. It seems a little too easy, you know. True, but I mean, it would be very fitting because Prince was from Minnesota, and he was the very first artist to open up the XL Energy Center as well. Oh, that's fucking cool. Yeah. So we're gonna move away from the West Division into the East Division. The number one seed, Pittsburgh Penguins, and the fourth seed, New York Islanders. This is the first playoff series between the two since. 2019 the Pittsburgh Penguins ended up winning the season series six to two Tim predicted the Pittsburgh Penguins in seven games I predicted the Pens in six the Islanders in six games I was not expecting Tristan Jerry to transform into the worst form of Matt Murray okay you know what I, you know I had that a was cu- fucking incredible true I had a couple of notes in the Islanders but you know let's start with that what the fuck was that game six this was a series I did not follow really in the slightest. And I knew about Tristan Jari's sixth game. Per, all that flubs and the... Because like... Okay, first of all, how do you put up a 7-9-2 with 19 saves? How? Well, it's like... The shots weren't even good. Sure, if, like four of them were coming in between the dots, but like Ryan Pollock scores from basically the blue line without even really much of a screen. What the fuck? Yeah, you know what? Fun fact, him. The very first year I ever played fantasy hockey, that was my team name, Third Line Pollocks. Nice. Yeah. Because like, what was funny is like Pittsburgh was playing really well. Their defense was boxing things out well. They were generating goals like no one's business. And then Christian Jerry just lays three eggs. Yeah, and you know what? If you saw some of the hate he got on social media from Penns fans, it's just... This is the thing... Okay, here's the thing about the Pittsburgh Penguins. I really don't think there's been a team that's had the kind of riches they've had in goal in the last 35 years. If you really think about some of the names that you had... Tom Barrasso, Ken Raggett, Marc-Andre Fleury, Matt Murray, Matt Murray, and Tristan Jari. And how many of those were hated by the Pens fans? Fleury got a amount of shit. Murray got it. Barrasso got it. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, they're so hard on goalies. You thought Philly was bad. And Philly is bad. But Pittsburgh gives them a run for their money almost at times. Well, I mean, playing in Pennsylvania does not seem all that enticing in any sport. Because, like, 
yeah, Pittsburgh and Philly fans are hard on everyone. Like, both cities chew through quarterbacks and running backs like nothing. Uh, I don't even know how... I think the other reason that Pittsburgh fans aren't hard on their baseball team is they know that the Pirates are a lost cause. Yeah, I know. And it's funny because Adam sent me a video the other day. I think they're playing the, the Cubs. So basically what happened was like this Cubby player, he hit a ball. It sort of bounced to the first baseman. The first baseman was going to tag him, and he was out. He ran back to home. He threw the ball to the catcher, so the runner was safe. The fucking first, the guy up first base ran back. He fucking noodle-armed the ball to the second baseman to tag him. It went past him. Seriously, I will, I'll actually send you that video later. It is hilarious. But you know what? Urinating Tree did a whole video on that. Basically, all he had to do was tag, was just tag the bag and he was out. He's out automatically. He ran back. But actually, you know what's funny? You mentioned... Uh, Pittsburgh is that honestly I don't think the Steelers when it comes to quarterbacks is really that bad because Ben Roethlisberger has been there for such a long time that's true um, that's more of a Philly thing the Philly fans are just brutal with the Eagles because it seems like the guys that play for the Steelers they have a real love-hate relationship with the players they either love them like you know a Terry Bradshaw or Lynn Swan who are playing the 70 Steelers and then you have like a Cordell Stewart at the same time, Eagles fans are known for throwing shit at Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Well, do you... I, I know you don't really follow... Uh, I'm not even going to say his name, but I'm going to say the initials EDP445. You want to see a guy who's so over-the-top reactions of the Eagles? Watch that guy. But let's get back to this series because we're kind of going off the track here. And speaking about a guy that used to play for Philly... Jeff Carter really came as a surprise in this series for me. Four goals and an assist on the score sheet. This guy was Pittsburgh's best forward. And he was probably the best player outside of maybe Chris Letang. It's funny because people are like, well, trading for Jeff Carter. And then as soon as Jeff Carter gets off a bad team onto a good team, night and day. Like Mm. Jeff Carter down the stretch has been fantastic. Gee, doesn't that sound familiar, Taylor Hall? Well, actually, you know what? Let's let's be honest. That's that's anybody though. That's anybody. You go from a bad team to a good team. That's true. That's true. But it's just so funny that like as soon as like he gets off, gets out of L.A., it's just. Yep. Yeah, I was really surprised Crosby had kind of a quiet series in that with only two points. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, so let's move our attention over to the New York Islanders. Now, I know that we just mentioned Mark Stone in the previous series, and we're going to go up with another former Ottawa Senator, Jean-Gabriel Pajol. One goal and six assists in this game, and this guy really came through for the Owls in this one, and the this is one of these series that this makes Lou Lamorello look like a genius. When he gave up all those draft picks, and people thought he was not for doing that, for giving those second and third round picks to us for for JGP. But it's like, yeah, JGP has been excellent, and uh, he definitely. It's one thing we noticed in Ottawa is that he definitely can move up and down the roster. Yep. I I think I'm still happy with uh, Ridley Greig and who did we take with the second? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know what? I think my only thing about 
Paggio in this series is that, and I, I did watch a couple of periods of, of these games. I don't know why it bothers me when they say JG Paggio. Because in, I guess it may be in Ottawa, we never referred to him as that. It was either Paggio or Jean-Gabriel Paggio. It was never JGP or JG Paggio. Maybe he asked them to say it that way because they don't typically get the name right. Or maybe it would be, yeah, it would be like what, Jean Gabriel? Jean Gabriel? Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. Now, another guy with a French sounding name, Anthony Bouvier, three goals and four assists in this series. And honestly, I don't think really anybody would have picked him to be the leading scorer in this series. Well, especially because, like, Anders Lee is injured, right? Yes, I think he's Either injured. Either injured or just disappeared. Well, Barzell disappeared in that series. Like, he was really pretty quiet. Yeah, and that's going to be a problem for them when they, in the series against the Bruins they're playing right now. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about that in our round two predictions. So, I don't have any more notes on this series, Tim, if you want to head off into the second series of the Eastern Division. This is going to be a good one. The second-seeded Washington Capitals versus the third-seeded Boston Bruins. This is the first playoff series between the two teams since 2012. Both teams tied the season series at four. For the predictions, Tim picked the Boston Bruins in seven games. I picked the Washington Capitals in seven games. Boston ended up winning this in five games. So, let's talk about the goaltending. You know, and I know we talked about Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Let's talk about another guy from the 2017 Senators, Craig Anderson. One game one, his first playoff win since game six of the 2017 Eastern Conference Finals. Recorded 44 saves in game two. It was so sweet to see him come back in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's funny to see that he still has games in him. It's it's impossible not to cheer for Andy, but... Man, that's about where the good news stops for Washington. Yeah. Honestly, that team went silent. And it's not like they weren't generating shots, but... They weren't generating good ones. They were just... That was it. They were just generating shots. And I think for me... and But you know, it wasn't just Washington that went quiet because the Bruins' top line was not that effective either outside of Patrice Bergeron. Well, I mean, that's why Patrice Bergeron is known as one of the top two-way guys in the league is he's just going to give you that small game every game. But like, the t- the Hall Crecci line has been on fire. But like, what the... F- like, Kuznetsov has just fallen off a cliff. Anthony Mantha is... I'm still not a big fan of that trade. And then, yeah, the bottom lines, like Shuri Eller, Oshie, Hagelin, Dowd, and Hathaway are just... Ugh. I mean, Garrett Hathaway, though, two goals and an assist. That's not a bad style line, really. But, yeah, oh. I don't know. I mean, this is a series that... It's a pretty standard Bruin playoff series. Things happened, team scored, and that was it. They're really... I don't know what it is for me, man. The Bruins just don't seem to have the most exciting playoff series... Unless they they're, do not spark joy. Unless they're playing Montreal, in my personal opinion, because there's always so much excitement against the Habs. But 
that Vancouver final was fucking something else. Okay, excluding that finals. (laughs) Excluding the finals that they played in. The series leading up to it was just kind of like, "Eh, okay, whatever. But Tuka Rask, the guy was lights out in this series. That's all I can say. The guy was lights out. What can you really say? Well, it's like, the man's on a mission because, like, last year when he just, his head wasn't there in the bubble and he asked out, so many people hung him out for dead after that. So after that, like, yeah, the man's, like, on a fuck you mission. Yep. Yeah, you definitely light a fire under him and he's ready to go, right? So... It was great. I really am happy. I've always liked Tuka Rask. I thought he was a great goalie. I, He's another guy. I don't think he's as appreciated, I think, as people give him. Because, honestly, especially in Boston, where they had Tim Thomas for how many years? Tim Thomas won Conn Smythe. He won the Cup. It just hasn't seemed... And this is just my personal opinion. I'm sure Bruins fans would maybe disagree with me on this. But I just don't feel that Tuka Rask is not on the same level as Tim Thomas when it comes to the, with the fans. Unless Tuka Rask wins a cup, that's where I think they'll be on even keel at that Yeah. Point. Well, did, didn't Tim Thomas get himself out of the team's good graces by uh, putting his politics a bit too forefront? He did. But I'm, I'm thinking with the fans and the way that they look at it, right? Because... Oh, uh, okay. I, I think for me... and. Being a Sens fan, I think this might be a pretty decent comparison. Look at Eric Carlson and Thomas Shabbat. Carlson was the guy the fans still love. They still have so much love and they have respect for this guy. I'm not saying that Thomas Shabbat doesn't have that. I'm not saying the fans don't love him. I don't say the fans have any respect for the guy. But Eric Carlson was here. Shabbat was there. Now, Shabbat still has time to get there, but I, that's a hard bar to reach. And oh, I feel sure. the same way about Tuka Rask and Tom Thomas in Boston. Well, Tuka Rask is... It look, if uh, Game 1 is indicative of the rest of this series for Boston-New York, I think Tuka Rask is uh, pretty comfortably into the conference finals. <clears throat> well, much. I guess it would be semi Stanley Cup semifinals because there is no comfort, conference structure this year. Man, what a weird year. I know. I know. It's going to be so weird, right? But you know what? It's not going to last forever. That's true. Also, Boston's power play was really good. Like, game four, I think they converted for three. Like, their special teams are clicking. Top line's clicking. Well, Washington is definitely a team that's kind of disintegrating. Yeah. I think the final note we could probably talk about this series the Washington Capitals going forward because there's a lot of question marks right now the big one is Alexander Ovechkin because we potentially and I use potentially in quotation marks we have potentially seen him play his final NHL game well I think he said that he wants to play with the Washington Capitals until he retires so I think that is Reading between the lines, he will continue playing. Yeah, but you never know, right? He might have a change of heart. Something might happen. He says, you know what? Maybe he wants to go back to Russia, finish out his career, play for tax-free. But I wonder how much of the the flat cap 
is really going to be a factor for the Washington Capitals going forward. Be- or, because I don't know what Ovechkin's going to get in his last contract. But also, the big one for me is Evgeny Gutsnetsev going to be a Washington Capital next season. Like, I don't see I don't see them moving on from Ovi or Backstrom. Gutsnetsev is probably the odd man out. Well, it's Kuznetsov has been... I don't want to say he's been bad, but... Uh, he was... Like, he was he was injured, wasn't he? He was injured in this series, wasn't he? I think so, but, like, he's I think he's been disciplined multiple times this season, and he just kind of disappeared. So, Tim, you ready to move on into the Central Division? Yeah, let's do it. The number one seed, Carolina Hurricanes, versus the fourth seed... Nashville Predators. This is the first playoff matchup between the two teams. Carolina won the season series 6-2. You and I both picked the Carolina Hurricanes to win the series in five games. The Hurricanes won in six games. So we're one off. That's not too bad. We're doing pretty good this year on it. Like, I remember last year, we were like... <sighs> yeah. This year, we're doing pretty good. It's pretty solid, man. I think for me... This is a series I really have no notes on because I don't really know where to go with this. But I think for me, I was watching a bit of one of these games. Nashville, of course, is in the first round. I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think they were the highest capacity for fans in the building. I think so. That was weirdly anxious watching that. When I see all these people in one building, I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? What is going on? They're all vaccinated. They're fine. I know, but still, right? It's... I, I still get weirdly anxious watching that. It's like, oh, good God, what is happening? It's like when I, when you watch TV or movies now during the pandemic and, you know, these done pre-COVID, and you're like, why is that person not wearing a mask in the store? Why are they not telling him to go away? Like, what is going <laughs> on here? But I mean, it, maybe it's just it's COVID the anxiety. The pandemic's over there. It's true. It's done. They don't have to worry about it. I know. It's and it's so fun that... And Nashville is such an awesome crowd, too. You know? They are. That's on my bucket. If I was to go to any other building, I obviously have my my list of buildings I want to go to. Like Vegas I want to go to. Nashville's definitely on the list. Carolina's on the list. I've heard their fans are really rowdy mm-hmm. down there. And obviously, I mean, Mon- just going to game in Montreal, that'd be just, just, just to say, you went to a game in Montreal. This pretty. Sautre cool. Bell gets rocking. Oh yeah, that's what uh, Mark Mathot was saying on the podcast this past week. So there's only two players I really want to talk about for the Hurricanes: Sebastian Ajo, five goals and two assists. Well, what's interesting about the Carolina is they work by committee, so it was really nice to see Ajo have just a statement exclamation mark type series because he is a guy who i want to say he's a bit underrated but at the same time he did get off or sheeted by bergevin so he can't be that underrated i know and the fact is that he lost money in that because he was looking at nine million or something for the hurricanes yeah yeah i will say one thing and i've i'm sure i've said this on the podcast in the past i have never i think i've only played one year of organized sports in my life but God damn it, if Rod Brendamore gave me a post-game speech like he does, I'd be ready to run through a wall for him. Oh yeah, that shit's awesome. 
I know. Well, do you see the one from the other day where it was his dad's birthday and he got the whole team to sing happy birthday to him? No, I didn't. It's so good. Now, the only other guy I can talk about this, we're going back to an ex-Ottawa senator. The Duchesne curse. You know, it's incredible because UC Soros was on a mission. Like, this is, like, that was a legendary performance. Because most of those games, Carolina was coming down on them like a brick shithouse. And I think he only had one game where he was sub-900. But the fact is that Matt Duchesne was really quiet in this. Nashville was not really overly into this. Other than, you're right, uh, UC Soros was fantastic. I did see the stat line. But, yeah, like, the big guns up front. Like, you know, you Philip Forsberg, your Matt Duchesne's. Guys like that just didn't show. Yeah. You have to remember that these guys just kind of crept into the playoffs kind of at the end there. Because, like, Dallas Dallas almost overtook them, despite... There's no way that you could describe the season the Dallas Stars had, other than, wait, you can play hockey from a hospital? And they almost almost caught up to Nashville. Like, this is a team that was not expected to go very far. No. I wasn't willing to call the sweep, but... Because I thought UC Soros had some tricks out of his bag. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting uh, multiple performances over point nine. You know, Sorry, over point nine two. It was really amazing about Carolina, Tim, and I don't I'm sure you're not like me in this way. I still think of Carolina as being this team that just squeaks into the playoffs. I don't think of them as being a really legit playoff team. Either they went to the conference finals at think last year or the yeah. year previous and it's weird and this team's legit they're freaking legit they're terrifying i know and, like even their game against the lightning this afternoon they did not give the lightning an easy time and they outshot the lightning handily like the canes are fucking legit i know man so good like, that's going to be a very fun team to watch for a long time to come. Because it also looks like with Martin Neckes and Peter Morazic, their net's pretty much sorted. Like, McElhaney was definitely a stopgap uh, the previous years, but, yeah, it looks like it's finally sorted. Yeah, and that's a team that, outside of Cam Ward, they've never had that number one goalie that lets them go. Even inside of Cam Ward. Well, hey, now, 2006. Hey, 2006, he was... Dynamite. I know. Cam Ward is basically just last decade's Jim. Sorry, the 2000s Bennington. Pretty much. For a second, I thought you were going to say Jim Carrey, and I was going to be like, no, no, no. That's Steve Mason. That's Steve Mason. Yeah. Honestly, and and I'm saying this with no disrespect to the real dream team at the Hurricanes, Kevin Weeks and Arthur Survey, 2002. That was a fun playoff series. It was. It was. So, Tim, do you have any comments you want to make on this series before we head off into the sunshine... Sh- ah, fuck. Sunshine... Second... Se- fuck. Okay, the second series of this division. What were you going for? Uh, sunshine State Showdown. Oh, Sunshine... Yeah, let's go into the Sunshine State Showdown. 
the number two seed, Florida Panthers, versus the third seed, Tampa Bay Lightning. That just sounds so weird. Tampa Bay's third seed. Jesus Christ. This is surprisingly the first playoff matchup between these two teams. The Florida Panthers won the season series 5-3. to three. Now for what? predictions. You were kind of split. You didn't really give me a concrete answer on it, but you said seven games. You said there's going to be Tampa or Florida. I was more concrete. I said Tampa Bay in seven games. Tampa Bay won this in six. Now, this series... If you were to tell me, going into the first round, this was going to be probably the best series of them all, I totally would have believed you. Because I probably would have said this was going to be the most interesting series. Because people do not realize how serious that rivalry is between the Panthers and Lightning in Florida. And just how fucking good both of those teams are right now. Yeah, and both teams came out flying, and they came out flying. They're playing physical. Both teams' big guns came out to play. The Huberdos came out big. Barkov, Kucherov, my sweet fuck, with 11 points. Victor Hedman with 7 assists. Vasilevsky obviously came out big. A lot of the Florida guys came out big, except for one man. Let's talk about Florida's goaltending. There was only won that first game. So if Bobrovsky just could make the save he had to make. You know what? Inconsistent goaltending, that's what killed Florida right there. Yeah, like the first point call, Bobrovsky should have had that. Exactly. When you played three goalies, you played Bobrovsky, another former Ottawa center, Chris Drieger, and Rookie Spencer Knight, which by the way, that's got to be the most badass name I've heard in a while. Spencer oh, it's Knight, sick. love it. Can you? Oh my god, can you imagine Spencer Knight becomes the number one in Florida? Oh, you love to hear it. That would be so good. Yeah, great save by Knight. So you're like I'm absolutely right. I mean, inconsistent goaltending killed the Florida Panthers, but you know what also killed the Florida Panthers? Tampa Bay becoming 100% healthy. You mean being $17 million over the salary cap? Yes. Kucherov, man. That's just not fair. You have one team very clearly playing by the rules, one team that has found a way to completely break the rules. And this is not like the NBA where you can just pay a luxury tax. This isn't. This is why the NHL is as competitive as it is. This is why we don't have super teams in the NHL. Which is lovely. It is. And you know what? You get a lot of great stuff because any team can play great. But it's like, well, Vegas is another team that was definitely playing with fire. There was a game where I think they actually only had 18 skaters from the start. And it's just like, why is this? Oh, because uh, look at their salary structure. Yeah, they, when, they, when like, they had like $42,000 in salary. Like that. But uh, no, it's like, despite all of that, this might have been one of the best playoff series I have ever seen. And that's saying a lot, too. Because we've been watching hockey for a long time. But you know what, for me... And I was wondering... I wonder if you can maybe look this up. Because I couldn't find it off the top of my head. 
I wonder how many times has both the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning been in the playoffs at the same time. I want to say this is probably only like the second time because you have to remember Florida's second or third. Ninety six was the first one, right? Uh, I think twenty thirteen. Nope, that they didn't one make year the that... um, thirteen. Florida didn't make it. There was one year in like the early twenty tens where Florida made it, but then just got dummied in the first round. I think it was sixteen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, sixteen, and then this year. So it's like Florida has been one of those teams that just can't even make it to the dance. But this is probably uh, this is definitely the best incarnation of the Flo- sorry the Panthers that we've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they can get that goalie situation figured out, unfortunately Spencer Knight. Uh, Laid a bit of an egg in game in game six, but he's a rookie goaltender against holy fuck the lightning. Right, that's just yeah, it's unbelievable, man. It's I wish we could have gotten more Florida Panthers hockey this season. Weird statement, I know. Yeah, but you know what? If the Florida Panthers had won this series, that would have been the first playoff series in twenty five years. That they had won. Yeah. But you know, if the last time they won a playoff series, they beat Mario and Yager. The year... Of, okay, have you... By the way, have you ever seen the clips from that playoff year? The year of the rat when they're throwing the rubber rats on the ice? I've heard about it, never watched it. Legit? I like it. Nice. It's cool. Um, does this qualify as a highway series? I'm not exactly sure how far Sunrise is from Tampa, so I couldn't tell you. Because I think Sunrise is outside of Miami, right? Yeah, it's like half an hour on a good day. It's essentially like what Canada is to Ottawa. It's like, it's outside the city limits. Okay, so it probably doesn't count. Yeah, I will say one thing though, and this might not seem like a big deal to anybody else. I did not realize the Florida Panthers use... Sweetness by Jimmy Eat World as their goal song. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, Tay, why does this matter to you? It matters because this song was not only on NHL 2003, but also Big Shiny Tune 7. Two things that I owned at the exact same time. Actually, it turns out that it's about three hour, a three-hour drive from uh, Miami to Tampa. And... You can just take the I-75, so it is on one highway. Cool. Yeah, so I call I call it a I call it a highway series. I know. Although the Sunshine State Showdown is such a great name. It really is. Yeah. Or would it be considered a SmackDown? Sunshine State SmackDown. So Tim, we've gone through three divisions right now. And now we come to the division everybody has wanted us to talk about. The North Division. Ugh. Why? Why does it exist? I just... I just don't know. Oh, good lord. I can't believe we gotta talk about this series. This is the only division, by the way, that's still going right now. Round one has not ended at the time of this recording because game seven is tomorrow night. <laughs> okay. Oh Let's get into this. The number one seeded Toronto Maple Leafs versus the fourth seed 
Montreal Wait, we're talk about the Canadiens. Game, the series that's still fucking going first. This series is still ongoing, by the way. <laughs> Keep this in mind. I thought we were going to talk about the one that was at least over first. <laughs> nope. No, because honestly, it would be. It is what it is. Like, we've gone by number one seed to number two seed. It just would throw each other off. I mean, you know what? Okay, you know what? Smartass. You know what? Let's do that. Do you want to talk about Edmonton Winnipeg first? Yeah, let's talk about the one that we can actually mark to market. Okay. The number two seed Edmonton Oilers versus the number three seeded Winnipeg Jets. This is the first playoff series between the two teams since 1990. Now, of course, this is the original incarnation of the Winnipeg Jets, not the current incarnation of the Jets. The Edmonton Oilers won this series 7-2. Now, here's the prediction. You said six games. I said six games. However, we both said... Six games for the Oilers. Uh, I mean, should I even just go ahead and do it? Uh, The Winnipeg Jets upset the Edmonton Oilers. Not in seven games. Not even in six games. They fucking swept them! <laughs> how do you even, Edmonton? I can tell you how they evened. His name is Carter Hellebuck. Because Edmonton was flying. Their best guns were shooting. Carter Hellebuck stood on his goddamn head. This has got to be the series I have the most notes for. And I don't know where to really start here until I'm looking at the notes. But there's one game in particular we need to start with. Well, let's start with Connor Hellebuck, an average .95. And a 1.60 goals against. The guy was lights out. What the fuck is that? And he did that against... Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, two of the top three best players in the game. Yeah, he currently leads the playoffs by save percentage. By the way, here are his stat lines for each game. The overtime game, 0.925. Game three, 0.917. A shutout. And game one, a 0.97. You, How do you even, Edmonton? I can't even blame them. They ran into a literal brick wall. Because in most of these games, Edmonton was the better team. Edmonton carried the play. And Mike Smith didn't even play bad. Why does, why does Edmonton want to bring Mike Smith back? Why? We've been saying this for probably two years, three years now. He's not a good goalie. Yes, this year he put up really good numbers for Edmonton. 
He is not a good goalie. Why are you keep doing this? I don't even know, but it's just like... Dude, my fucking head hurts trying to comprehend the Oilers at times. I'm not even a fan of theirs, and my head hurts. I'm not going to lie, though. It's like, I, I can't even blame them. Because, like, looking at the expected goals lines, Edmonton should have won every goddamn game. They were getting these beautiful, beautiful chances in tight every goddamn game. And Connor Hellebuck is, like, flying across the net, making, like, tip saves, toe saves, tip of the glove saves. It's incredible. And, like, Mike Smith isn't playing bad either. Like, he posts a .97 himself in one of the games. Like, it's just wild. You know what's also wild? Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, and Blake Wheeler. That first line. 14 points in four games between those three players. Basically, they... Whenever Winnipeg got a chance... It was that line that was able to victimize Mike Smith. Because, like, Edmonton otherwise was crushing Winnipeg at evens, at on the special teams. It's not even funny. In the last game, Edmonton had almost six expected goals. Connor Hellebuck erased two of them. Like, holy shit. Yeah. That overtime game, it was, it really goes to show you just how much Dale Tippett does not trust certain players on his bench. And this is probably the reason why they lost, to be honest. Are you talking game three or game four? Game four. Okay. Do you want to talk about game three? Sure. As I put in my notes, game three, Oilers collapse. Because, and we'll talk about this with another team in the next series. <laughs> There's a thing about Canadian teams that hold a 4-1 to lead. And this is a game that I actually watched a bit of it. When the Oilers went up 4-1, I was like, okay, well, whatever. This game's pretty much over. I'll just... Because I was busy doing other stuff around the house. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. All right, I'll go come back. I came back to Winnipeg winning this. Yeah, I have no idea how they did And here's how they did it. Perot scores to make it 4-2. Now, of course, I can't really blame Mike Smith because Ethan Bear whacked it in the net with his hand. Blake Wheeler scores to make it 4-3. That was a perfectly placed shot. Josh Morrissey ties the game at 4-4 with a wrister from the point through a screen. And Nikolai Ehlers, a guy that Sodomize does early in the season, wrists it top four, sorry, top corner, 5-4, up 3 nothing. That was such a weird overtime, too, because, like, Edmonton carries it and then just a defensive miscue, and it's over. Yeah. Well, you know what? Even for the Oilers, like, their lack of depth scoring really was evident. Because for a team that was trying to not be so top-heavy, they just proved that they are so top-heavy. Because outside of Dreisaitl and McDavid, nothing. Nugent and Hopkins had three points. And that was it. The only person outside of their top six that even looked, ventured to say looked good, was when they finally inserted Tyler Ennis in game four. 
True. And you know the funny thing about Game 4, Tim, was that I was cutting last week's episode. I'm sitting here. I've got my iMac here cutting the podcast. I've got my MacBook sitting right here watching the game at like 11 o'clock at night. Kyle Connor scored. I just was just like, I cannot believe that this just happened. And I immediately messaged Adam and you, and I'm just like, Kyle Connor! Well, it's funny because, and this is the point I want to make, that what probably killed the Oilers compared to the Jets, as overtime went longer, the Jets' bench was longer than Edmonton's bench. Well, the fact Bear is that... and Slater Cuckoo were stapled to the bench, so they were rolling two defensive pairs for all of overtime. Chase on McLeod and Caria only played 11, 10, and 9 minutes. I still cannot believe that Darnell Nurse played 62 minutes. And here we thought playing Thomas Shabbat 30 minutes a night was bad. Hoo-wee! Well, that's what happens when uh, Ethan Bear has the gaff on Winnipeg's time goal, basically got Ethan Bear stapled to the bench. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting series heading into the offseason because now what does Edmonton do? Because from what I've heard, apparently McDavid, I don't know if this is true or not, from what I've heard, he basically gave the Oilers an ultimatum. Basically, it was get better in two years or I'm leaving. If true, that's that's interesting. One thing that, we, that at least is happening is that some of Shirelli's worst contracts are coming off the books. Like Chris Russell, probably Chris Russell, I think is done this year. Some of the other buyouts are done. So Ken Holland has some room to work. Yeah. But I think, for, yeah. well, for him, the big one's going to be, does Nugent Hopkins come back? Cause he's going to be expecting a lot of money. It's funny because I've heard people call Nugent Hopkins a power play witch because yeah he is good but not like elite at five on five but as soon as the as soon as he's on a special team the man is dynamite yeah it's gonna be interesting to see where Nugent Hawkins ends up in the offseason because I know he's a UFA and there's gonna be some teams out there that's gonna be looking at him like seriously and even this free agency there's gonna be some really good ones like you know, you got Nugent Hopkins. I don't know about Monaghan. I th- I've heard that. And there's and it's weird because Ottawa has oddly been rumored with a lot of guys heading into this offseason. Nugent Hopkins at one time. I've heard Monaghan. The one that really surprised me was Claude Giroux. But, I mean, the guy's from Gatineau. Or, no, he's from Gatineau. So, yeah, he's a local guy. But I'm not going to talk about the, the Sens. We're going to head back to the Oilers. Because there's a couple of things I do want to talk about relating to the Oilers Obviously, hockey's such a great sport, but it's always idiots on social media that just... I don't know why people have to be dicks to players. Like, the racial Uh slurs directed towards Ethan Bear? Terrible. And I'm really glad that the Oilers and the NHL came to his defense in the matter. But the big one for me... After the Game 4 loss... Wayne Gretzky stepped down as the vice chairman of the Oilers to join the NHL on TNT. Yeah, I'm a little surprised by the timing on that. I basically sent out a meme like the next day. And it's a picture of SpongeBob getting out of his chair going, 
I'm just gonna get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But honestly, how do you think Gretzky's gonna do on that panel? I don't know. I I've never seen Gretzky do color. No, I don't think he'll be doing color. I think he'll be doing like uh like in studio stuff. Oh, he'll be doing in studio. You know it's tough. Because like I know like some players can do some stars can do it really well. Uh my favorite duo, Shaq and Charles. Yep, but they also have the supporting cast of Kenny Smith. That's true. I just I don't know much about uh Wayne Gretzky as like a human who isn't kind of a cardboard cutout. Yeah. Although I'm sure TNT probably went after him for name recognition though, right? Yes. 100%. So it's like like the best hope would be it's Tony Romo, like Tony Romo style. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario is he's completely boring. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So I think the only note left on this I got to do. Okay, now I this does relate to game 4. Did you notice the Bud Light seltzer can in the stands? Oh, that that made me happy. I, I don't know what it is. It's just the can just there with the towel going, woo! Woo! And the fact is, like, it the, it had a Twitter account. It was responding to, like, Haley Salavan and... I don't want to say Mark... I can't say Mark Mathot for sure, but it, Haley for sure. There's a few other NHL personalities that, that can respond to. It's, it's great marketing, by the way. I would not drink it because I think Bud Light's disgusting. But great on them, man. That's a great marketing campaign. Oh, for sure. And now we come to the series that's still ongoing. That neither of us thought would be ongoing. Okay, now we're going to talk about this series. The number one seeded Toronto Maple Leafs and the fourth seeded Montreal Canadiens. This was the first playoff series against each other since... 1979. There's essentially two generations who have grown up with these two teams never playing against each other in the playoffs. Although, two separate times, that almost became a reality. Honestly, 1993 got robbed in 93. 93? But also, a lot of people don't realize, 2002. In the Eastern Conference Finals. Because mm. the Habs were up 3-1 against the Hurricanes. And the Hurricanes came back to win that series. And then they went off to beat Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then lost to Detroit. Now, the Leafs ended up winning this season series 7-3. You and I both said the Toronto Maple Leafs would win in five games. And you know what? Nobody would have blamed us. Every single... Sports writer in this country picked the Leafs. How? How? How is Montreal? How did Montreal force a game seven? What is going to be worse? What if the Montreal Canadiens win game seven? The Toronto Maple Leafs will officially become the meme of the NHL at that point. They will. It will be official. They will have confirmed the longest cup lose, sorry, cup drought in NHL history, surpassing the New York Rangers. 
this series is weird because it's like there are long stretches where Toronto comes out and shows that they are the better team. But there's also long stretches of this where they are invisible, listless, and just not engaged. Like, game six is in microcosm of this. Montreal is just running roughshod over Toronto for 15 minutes of this game. And if it wasn't for Jack Campbell, Montreal would probably be up like 3 4 nothing. Like, that's just how lopsided this game is. Toronto, Jason fucking Spezza scores the goal to put life back into the Leafs. And then it's just 10 incredibly solid minutes of hockey from the Maple Leafs. And then they disappear again for overtime. Marner takes a retarded penalty and Montreal scores. This is the second game in a row. By the way, that Toronto had to come back, force overtime, and then lose. You know, I think my overall thoughts so far in this series, for all of the buildup, for all of the sports writers, sports networks in this country that were hyping this series up to be this was going to be this. What a fucking dud of a series this has been. There's been no emotion. No real excitement. It It's like watching regular season hockey. Except for game six. Fans were in the Bell Center. And you know what? I really, some really cool. Yeah. There were some Sens fans as well. Oh, yeah. The true Sens. It was great. But you know what? Just as, this is just going to be the biggest embarrassment right here. Two teams who have not played against each other in 42 years. They've never come anywhere close to playing against each other at any time in the last 42 years in the playoffs. This is the kind of showing that you are showing us? Yeah. When you get up, when you're getting upstaged by the fucking Jets. Or here's or here's a better one. When you're getting upstaged by teams in Florida. You know you have fucked up bad. Well, what's funny is just Toronto's big guns are nowhere to be seen. No. When guys like William Nylander and Morgan Riley have shown up. And Spez. And you know, I, I and I've said this in the past, I've never gotten the hate for William Nylander in Toronto. When we had the left coast leaves guys on, we I asked, I said to them, I said, why is that? Why is it like they had so much hate against this guy? It's freaking weird because just very Kotekameni leads the Habs with three goals. Joel Armia has the most points with four. And this series is going to seven. Are we for real? Yeah. Like, the games that Toronto won, yeah, like they came out they came out cooking in two of them, five one, four nothing. But Losing Tavares definitely hurts, and for Game 7, they've lost Muzzin. So, like, Game 6, they're playing most of the game without one of their best, if not their best, defensemen. So, like, Game 7, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting. But the Habs haven't exactly been 
great either. No, it's been Carrie Price. Well, even Carrie Price, Price has really been the only consistent thing in this series for the Habs. But even then, he's actually has a lower save percentage than Jack Campbell. Yeah, and he also Carey has Price a he has a lesser team in front of him too, right? Yeah. Like what is this season this series is just you're right, it's not interesting to watch. Nope. I thought there would be more emotion at, even in game two where Toronto comes up and hangs five. I thought there'd be a bit more emotion in the game after uh, their captain went down. So, I think this is a really good time, Tim, to talk about the John Tavares injury. Now, Tavares was seriously injured in game one. What happened was that he had gotten hit, he went down awkwardly, and Corey Perry kneed him in the head as he tried to jump over him. It was a total accident. Corey Perry did not mean to hurt him. Let's just put it that way. But you know what? And as much as we laugh at John Tavares when he hit the post in the play in the play-in round, sorry, not the playoffs, in the playoff round last year, when you see a guy like this get seriously injured, you gotta feel for him. Like when they legit picked him off the ice and he ragdolled. Kyle Dubas. And this is another guy, and I know that we slag on Dubas all the time, but you know what? You gotta respect him for that when he rushed out of the press box to go see him. 100%. Now, what I don't have respect for, and shame on you, Toronto Sun. How dare you put a picture of your captain who got seriously injured on the front cover of the pa- of the paper? Was it Simmons? I couldn't tell you. And people like were just... People were just outraged about this. And you know what it reminds me of? And uh, I can't remember. Was it the Montreal Star or the Montreal Gazette that had the picture of Lars Eller? Right. Remember when Eric Greiba nailed him at center? And the front page on the the paper the next day was Eric... Gr- not Greiba. was um, Eller laying on the ice in a pool of blood? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. The other thing that I really didn't like about this was that Foligno basically forcing Perry into a fight after that. Yeah, but even Foligno came out afterwards and said, look, what was I supposed to do? My my captain went down. It was a freak accident. True, but you know what, though? And here's the thing for me is that after that happened... How much do you think that really took Corey Perry out of the series? When you know that he seriously injured a guy. But Montreal was not very good. We've talked about that. But you would think when they went up 3-1, you think that their game plan should have been start crashing the net. Crash the net and throw the puck right at it. But I wonder, and this is actually a good point somebody on Twitter brought up. How much of this series being boring is put on the fact they're not playing in front of fans. Because all the rest of the teams are playing in front of fans, but we're the only ones not playing in front of fans right now. Yeah, well, you know what? Does that hold water? I don't know, because the Winnipeg se- the Winnipeg Edmonton series was actually fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, that was exciting hockey. Just watching, like, Connor Hellebuck fly across the crease and, like, Edmonton and... Winnipeg's top line just fly. That was really fun to watch. 
This series, not so much. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this one if you want to head off into our round two predictions. Honestly, if Toronto chokes this, what even happens to the Leafs? I don't know. That's what it comes down to. I don't know because, honestly, they're going to now be forced to move one of the big four. Yes, something's got to happen. It's either they're going to have to move one of the big four or potentially Kyle Dubas loses his job. I don't think it'll happen, but you know what? When you're up 3-1 to against a team that limped into the playoffs, you've been to the playoffs, this is the fourth or fifth, the fourth year straight. You haven't gotten out of the first round. You've thrown all kinds of money at guys who are supposed to put you over the top and you still can't get it done. Yeah. Things have to change at that point. Well, I think it's like Freddie Anderson probably, like, I don't know if Freddie Anderson comes back. 100%. 100% he doesn't come back next year. uh, But it's like, like, what the hell is wrong with this team? You want to talk about teams that are so top-heavy? There's one example right there. Yeah, because it's like, well, it's like so much of the Leafs are just like random UFA pieces. Like, like Wayne Simmons has been invisible. Nick Foligno hasn't done much. Uh, Zach Hyman. I think they like Zach Hyman. He'll probably be back. Yeah. Riley Nash is gone. Well, Ker- Kerfoot had a good series. Kerfoot's been great. Yeah. But honestly, and I can't blame Kyle Dubas for the moves that he's made because, and we've said even here on the show that we have praised him on his moves. He recognizes the moves that need to be made to solidify the bottom six, to bring in more depth on the the defense, to bring in goaltending. It's still not getting the job done. At this point, does Brendan Shanahan have to seriously step in now? He'd be like, okay, we gave you the reins. You haven't gotten it done. It might be time for a change. Yeah. Well, it's like, what change can we even do? Like, the only thing I can think of is, like, can you add someone to the core? Or is there any... I don't think there's any room for that. No, because they're going to be right up against the cap with the flat cap this year. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, like, Jumbo Joe probably retired. Well, it's like so much of it is... Yeah, I don't even know, Matt. Because, uh-huh. yeah, they're top... Like, Matthews, Marner, and Tavares are 40% of the cap. Yeah. That's what happens, man, when you donate... Four, when you give 45 or $44 million in four players. Well, it's like, what do you even do? I don't know. Because I don't think you can blow this up. No, you can't, man. Like, you have all this time. You have all this. But here's the thing. In a flat cap world, who really can take those kind of contracts? And it's like, this team shouldn't be a bad team. No. But you know what? This is definitely the current version of the early 2000s. Highly offensive. Great regular season team. Can't get it done in the playoffs. 
Well, at least those early season sense teams, they could win a round. Yeah, but I like to think that they're kind of a combo between the early 2000s sense and the early 2000s Leafs teams where they have all the talent in the world and they still can't go far in the playoffs. Yeah, fair enough. But what's so weird, I think the thing that I've been noticing is just this Toronto team can't put three periods together. No, they're overly reliant on getting a big lead and sitting on it. Yeah, and it's if that's the issue, then I think you kind of have to blow it up because there's or maybe you need to rotate out the coach. Because at least when they were losing to Washington and Boston, those were good. Those were good series. Yeah. But like losing to Columbus, it was a choke job. Yeah. Not being able to close out Montreal, that's just excusable. A team that doesn't have their captain, Shea Weber. Well, I think Weber came back last game. Oh, but did the he? point stands. Okay. Like, yeah, the point freaking stands. Yeah. Yeah, Shea Weber came back last game. Okay, cool. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up our first round recap, which can mean only one thing. We gotta start talking about our round two predictions. Now, before we do that, we're gonna take a really quick break here, and we are going to return to give our predictions on round two of the 2021 NHL playoffs. Coming right back. Hey, this is Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sens.com and host of Internal Budget Podcast. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, Tim, we are back. Now, with all the discussion that we talked about with our first round recap, it's time to give our round two predictions. Now, just like how we did our round one recap, how we're going to be doing this, we're going to go west, east, south, and finish in the north. And we're starting from the west, the number one seed, Colorado Avalanche, versus the number two seed, Vegas Golden Knights. I'm going to go the Colorado Avalanche. In seven games. Colorado has had Vegas's number all season long. I'm gonna go Colorado with six. I don't think I don't think Vegas is a team that's gonna get swept, and I think they're gonna be able to put some really good pressure on Colorado, but Colorado is currently dummying Vegas for nothing. Yeah, and this is a series that basically will determine who goes to the Stanley Cup Finals in the West. Pretty much. Because honestly, this is like the two best teams in the Western Conference right there. Bar none. And both teams are absolutely loaded with talent up and down the roster. But I'm giving Colorado the the nod. And it wasn't an easy decision just because I think for me, the only area, and we talked about this in the Colorado-Minnesota series, or sorry, um, Colorado-St. Louis series, is that I was going to give Vegas the nod in goal, in goal because they got Marc-Andre Fleury, who's won three Stanley Cups. He's been there before. He's done it. And Robin Leonard, who's a legit starter as a backup. And honestly, I got to say, both teams are pretty well balanced with Vegas obviously having the better goaltending. So I'm going to go Colorado in seven games. You're going to say Colorado in six. I like your prediction, but that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, McKinnon already has another goddamn goal. Love it. Love that guy. 
Now we're going to go on to the East. The number three seed, Boston Bruins versus the number four seed, New York Islanders. I can't see any other outcome where the Bruins don't take the series. I'm going to say Boston six. Their top guys are 100% healthy. Taylor Health has found his mojo. And Tuka Rask is just unstoppable right now. What's funny is, Ilya Sorokin, he's really good until he is not. So I think the Bruins win this in five, but basically most games are going to be close until the, like the third period and Boston just cracks the fucker open or Boston just runs away with it the first and there's no hope coming back. Okay, so you're going to say Bruins in five? Bruins in five. Bruins in five, man. It's not a bad prediction, to be honest with you. But yeah, like I said, I'm going to go Bruins in six just because... I see these, and that's the thing. I don't want to sell the Islanders short because honestly, they have Pajot, they have the playoff depth with their guys that Lou Lamar O'Brien from Jersey. But yeah, it, Boston's just so loaded right now. I mean, Pasternak in that game one. Yeah. How could you not, right? Exactly. Well, it's like Boston has two absolutely fucking terrifying top two. Like their top two lines are absolutely fucking terrifying. I cannot think of a situation where this gets pulled off by New York. Now we're going to move on to the Central Division. Now, I'm going to say a take right now because I said that the winner between the West, between Colorado and Vegas, will go to the finals. The winner between Carolina and Tampa Bay will meet them in the finals. In the Central Division, the number one seeded Carolina Hurricanes versus the number three seeded Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm going to say Tampa Bay in seven games. I really like Carolina Hurricanes. And even in the game where Tampa won, it was a tight checking game and e Carolina had a few chances to tie, tie the game up and force overtime. I think this one's too close to call, but I'm going to be spicy. Carolina takes it. Okay. In seven. Canes in seven. I'm going to go Bolts in seven. It should be a good one. And you know, for me, I got to say, Tampa Bay is going to have a much tougher time in this series against Carolina. But the Lightning's team depth will be the factor. Because honestly, Tampa Bay... Tampa Bay's Tampa Bay. Any way you want to slice it, they've just got those... But for me, on the Hurricanes side... The one guy who has really got to keep his game going is Sebastian Ajo. And that's no knock against the Hurricanes defense because they have been really good as well with the um, Pesci's, Dougie Hamilton's, guys like that playing really well. But for me, as much as I'm saying Tampa Bay, I too would love to see Carolina shock the world and go on another deep run because it's good for hockey. I said it in the past. These deep runs of the South teams is great. Yeah, it's just I really do like what the Carolina Hurricanes are doing, and they just work. They work well on committee. I'm, I'm this. It's definitely a hot take. Tampa Bay is like Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. They're the closest thing the NHL right now has to a super team. Yep. Although Boston is definitely making an argument. It's true. I think for me, the only question marks on defense though in Boston. Yeah. That's the only. Think for me, they they're pretty good loaded everywhere else, but it's on defense where that's still a big question mark for me. 
Charlie McAvoy is really blossoming. Very much so, man. And now we come to the North Division. The number three seeded Winnipeg Jets versus either the number one seeded Toronto Maple Leafs or number four seeded Montreal Canadiens. It does not matter what team goes to, up against Winnipeg. Winnipeg will take them in five games. Winnipeg as a team is more well-built for the playoffs than either one of these teams. The Jets are riding that adrenaline from sweeping Connor McDavid. I think for me, it will be interesting to see if Winnipeg plays Montreal. Because Montreal is allowing fans into the building. Can you imagine how loud that building's going to be when Winnipeg comes to town? Yeah. Um, I think I have to wait to see whether it's Montreal or Toronto that makes it through. But yeah, if Connor Hellebuck continues after a very long break, then yeah, I don't think whatever team they face has a hope in hell. No. Yeah, it's just we don't even know who they're going to face. I know, but still, I'm I'm still saying Winnipeg will take them in five games. Doesn't matter who they play. I think for me, if it was a, a concrete answer, if say they're playing Montreal over Toronto, I would say the Jets take them in six. But because I don't know, I'm going to go Winnipeg in five. Okay. And for me, Connor Hellebuck is going to be the biggest factor here because he shut down McDavid, he shut down Dreisaitl, can you imagine, say they go against Toronto, what if he shuts down Matthews as well? You single-handedly beat three of the top five best players in the game. Right there. Yeah. And that's not even an argument. For me, the top five players in the game today, and you can argue this, McDavid, yep. McKinnon, yep. Mark Stone, Dreisaitl, wow. Matthews. Now, obviously, you can kind of flip-flop dry cell on stone, but yeah, I'm saying that's the top I'd five. I'd put Kucherov up there, too. Kucherov? Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Is there anyone else that has been dutifully ignored? Um, not that I can think of. Barkov. Bark. Yeah, Barkov is definitely something. Sorry. I guess Patrice Bergeron is quietly brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say maybe Pasternak. Past, yeah, Pasternak. I don't know if I would put Past in the top five. Top ten, maybe. 100%. But, yeah, I think for me, it, it would be great. Hellebuck's going to be the big factor. If he stones Matthews in the second round, great. If he goes against Montreal, can you imagine Price versus Hellebuck in round two? The goaltending hey, matchup right the there. The fact that we can even consider Winnipeg versus Montreal as an option makes me so deeply sad. This was probably one of our best chances to get McDavid versus Matthews in the playoffs. Yep. And there's a potential for Hellebuck stealing it from us. On the Hellebuck stole that from us, straight up. And Matthews choking on himself. I'm so mad. This is, you don't know how not okay this is. That would have been a legendary playoff series. It's true. But you know what, though? 
I'm sure TV ratings are going to go down because of that, because you don't have two of the top five players in the game. So, but you know what, though? It's going to be great, because I love Connor Hallebach. I think he's a great goalie. He's my favorite in the league. Winnipeg is so well-built, and it's so great to see Winnipeg after year after year after year in the 80s and the 90s be knocked off by Gretzky and the Oilers. And then they play the Canucks, and they get beat by Pavel and the Canucks. And now they come into their second iteration. This is going to be this is Winnipeg's best chance for a legit breakthrough. But if Winnipeg goes to the conference finals, I don't know. I really don't know if they they would go to the finals. This might be no. their best shot. But it's going to depend who they play in the finals. Well, it's like they. I think all four of the teams that are like of the teams that are likely to go to the finals. Tampa Bay is terrifying. The Canes are terrifying. Boston is. Boston is absolutely yeah. terrifying. Boston's and Boston, man. Colorado is Colorado is probably should be the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Anyone who's saying, "Well, the Leafs have an easier hike," gestures at Colorado. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this. If you want to head off into the close for another, yeah, let's episode. do it. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I. Love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plugs, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWayGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E-Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about our first round recap, or you want to give your thoughts on our predictions in the second round of the 2021 playoffs, Shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, the next time that you and I will be getting together, we will be talking about the second round recap slash third round predictions. Do you think the second round will actually be done before the third round starts this time? I think the better question is, will the second round be done by next week? Imagine if it was just four sweeps. Oh, my God. Oh, good Lord. I know. But you know what, though? Hey, at least we'll be on time. If that was, if that's the case, that's not going to be like... Remember last year? Remember last year where we were just like, oh, fuck, that round's like halfway over already. We're doing an episode. Last year was... Last year was tough, though, eh? Because, like... Remember when we did the play-in-round preview and... We already got. We were already talking about Kachuk on Shifley. Mm-hmm. Like that was just kind of rough to work around. Yeah, there was nothing we could have done about that. Yeah. That's just, that's the only problem with me not working days. If I was working days, we could have done an episode like the next fucking day. Yeah. But you know what, though, with the summer coming up and me working full time, I'll be working day shift. So. Awesome. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Ben Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo!